Uh, it's good to see you all. Thank you so much for letting me come and spend a little bit of time with you. Uh, obviously, I've been to Listu there a number of different times, and I came here. This was probably one of the first places I came to when I first started coming over to Northern Ireland. Um, I started travelling over here in sort of 2010, 2009, 2010, um, and my wife used to come to Listu there, so she brought me here. So I've been coming here for a lot of years now. So it's nice to be able to come and to be able to speak to you to be able to come back and to be able to spend a little bit of time and we're discussing a little bit of a theme obviously this evening as usual I've all got the text and been told about what we're looking at and it's all about dealing with setbacks so setbacks and failures and when things go wrong in our lives how do we deal with that and it's such an important issue because the reality is that when you have a failure in your life when you go through a setback when something happens that goes wrong in your life you feel like you're the only one that's going through that. You feel like nobody understands what you're going through, nobody understands your situation, and you feel rubbish about it. And it's important to be able to think as we start this message, it's important to be reminded and to remember that everyone goes through failures and setbacks. For any of you that have heard my testimony, um, one of the things that I continuously say when, when I give my testimony is that I'm not standing up here as somebody that's been through Loads of stuff and has come out amazing. I've been great in my life and everything that I've done has been really, really good. I have constantly failed in numerous different ways, whether that was with the people who I spent time with and the road that I went down, the trouble that I got into and different things that have happened in my life. We all go through times when things go wrong and when we have setbacks in our life that make us think that we're failures. So it's important right at the beginning to remember that we all go through it, that none of us are alone that we've all gone through it. So it's an important issue to discuss because it's something that everybody faces. Each and every one of you, I'm sure, can think of times in your life when things have gone wrong and something's happened and you've thought to yourself, I'm just a complete failure here. Like I really just feel like I'm alone in this and I can't talk to anyone about it. So it's important to establish that we all go through it, whether you are somebody who is famous, whether you are somebody who is really well-known or whether you are just a normal person going through your day-to-day life. One of the first things when I put it into Google and started to search about this in terms of setbacks in our life, it brought up the story of Abraham Lincoln. Has everyone heard of Abraham Lincoln? Abraham Lincoln, arguably one of the greatest presidents that's ever lived. It came up, his life story of how he became the president. And if you look through the timeline of his life, he suffered constant setbacks and failures. It talks about in 1832, Abraham Lincoln in his first job that he got, he was sacked. So he lost his job in 1832. He decided that he was going to go into politics and he ran uh, for what was called legislator in 1832 and he was defeated in the vote to become legislator. He then started up his own business in 1833, which collapsed and completely failed after a year. Um, he then applied to be the legislator again in local politics and he got in. He got put in in 1834. In 1835, his childhood sweetheart, Anne Rutledge, who he'd been uh, with for a very long time, she died at that point. In 1836, he had a nervous breakdown. In 1838, he got, uh, he went for Speaker of the House uh, in politics, got defeated in that. In 1843, he went in for Congress, got defeated in that as well. Uh, in 1846, he was finally elected into Congress. In 1848, they had the re-nomination, the re-vote, and he got he got uh, evict, evicted um, from that and rejected. Um, 
1849, he was rejected for the official land officer uh, appointment that he went for. In 1854, he was defeated in his vote for the Senate. In 1856, he was defeated for the nomination for vice president. In 1858, he was defeated again for Senate. And in 1860, he became the president of the United States. So random that he ended up in the highest position and ended up arguably one of the greatest presidents that America ever had on this absolute string of setbacks and defeats. Sometimes we have one thing that goes wrong in our life and we think to ourselves, oh, I'm so worthless, I'm so useless, I'm just going to give up and I'm not going to bother anymore. Someone like Abraham Lincoln was continuously defeated and went through these different setbacks and yet went on to do something amazing and remarkable in his life. One of the things that I love about the Bible, and if you get a chance to be able to study it in depth and to go through the different characters in the Bible, one of the things that it shows us is that as you look at each and every character, it shows us the realism. One of the things that proves how Scripture is true is that if Scripture wanted to be, if it was written as a story and was written as something that was fake and a fable, it would make all of its characters out to be Marvel-like superheroes. Everybody would be these amazing people that done fascinating things and never done anything wrong and they were almost unstoppable characters. But as you go through and you look at the different people in the Bible, one of the things that it shows each and every person doing is it shows their lowest moment. It showed the moment when they failed. It shows the moment when they were defeated, when they suffered setbacks and all of these different things. And that's one of the things that I love about the Bible is the fact that it shows us the reality of life. It shows us great people like David and how David had low moments and how he submitted to temptation and ended up doing things and killing people and all sorts of different things that he went through in his life. The same with Paul, the same with Samson, all of these different people that you can name in the Bible. It shows you how they failed because it shows you the realism of what life is like. These people arguably were some of the great characters in the Bible. You read through Hebrews chapter 11 where it goes through what is called the Hall of Faith. And all of these people are named in that, in that chapter of the Bible. But yet we see how they fail in their own lives. But God used them to do something amazing, even though they suffered failures and suffered setbacks. Because failure and setbacks are part of life. But how do we deal with them? And that's what we want to look at tonight. I'm going to look at the story of a very famous preacher, uh, a man who was a fugitive, he was called by God into ministry, but he was a, a hot-headed person. And in a moment uh, of anger, he killed someone. And as a result, he had to flee to another country so he wouldn't be apprehended by the law. That man is Moses. And I'm going to ask you if you've got a Bible to turn with me uh, to Exodus chapter 2. So Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. We're going to read a few verses from there. And then we're going to jump into chapter 3. So Exodus 2, chapter 11. Moses obviously had an amazing story of how uh, the Pharaoh was going to kill all of the children. He was put into the, the bulrushes and all these different things and was taken uh, was taken by the queen and, and different things like that. And he ended up in Pharaoh's house. Um, but then this is talking a little bit about when he grew up. So it says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked out on the burdens and he spied an Egyptian, smiting an Hebrew on his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out on the second day, two men, two Hebrews, strove together. 
And he said to the he he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince or a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me and kill the Egyptians? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. And we'll go into chapter 3. It says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of the Midians. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked... And behold, a bush was burning with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here, are, here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, but put off your shoes from your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of the Father, uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look on God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry um, by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrow, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of the land, unto a good land of a large, uh, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come, come unto me. And I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And we'll finish there. It's at the end of verse 10. Even the great Moses was a person just like us. He had a temper. He went through periods of depression. He went through a situation where he had a hot head and decided that he was going to kill someone. He decided that he'd seen someone beating one of the the Israelite people uh, and he decided that what he was going to do was instead of saying to him, stop doing that, he looked around to see if anyone was there because he was so angry and he went over and just killed the fella and hid him in the sand. Everybody found out about what was going on. And had found out what Moses had done. They started to speak to him about it and said, Who are you anyway? Why are you even here? Are you going to be the king of all of us? We don't know you. We don't know where you've come from. And he ended up having to run away because the Pharaoh was going to kill him. But yet what we see, if you know the story of Moses, is how he was used by God to be able to do amazing things after that. So the question that we're asking is, how do we deal with setbacks in our life? And we want to look at what the Bible says in regards to this. Acts chapter 7 verse 25 tells us that Moses' heart and motive was right, but he tried to do it by himself. He missed God, he jumped the gun, and as a result he became a recluse and no longer believed in himself. When God asked him to go back to Egypt, he made every excuse. He actually declined to go. He said, I can't go. I'm not a very good speaker. I wouldn't be very good at doing all of these things because he knew he had done something wrong and he thought he was a failure and he thought that he was worth nothing. But yet God shows him about how he can still use him to do amazing things, which is an encouragement to us as we think of the times that we fail, when we fail the people around us, when we fail God and think that we're worthless. God shows us through these people in the Bible, in all the things that they have done wrong, how he still chooses to use them to do amazing things. So what steps did he go through to turn him around from this state to becoming one of the greatest leaders of all times? 
I want to look at four different things uh, through the life of Moses that will hopefully give us some help in realizing that a setback isn't the end, but we can turn a setback into a comeback. And it's important to be able to remember that. The first one is that he put his failures into perspective. As we said before, we need to recognize everyone fails. Everyone has problems. Nobody's perfect. Everyone fails. Even the most successful people, the most spiritual people, world leaders, people in the Bible, all of these people failed. David failed. Peter failed. Moses failed. Paul failed. Abraham failed. And we can go on and on and on through the different people of the Bible and through the people of history. Just because you fail doesn't mean that you're a failure. One of the foundational principles of Christianity is that we are people that have failed. This is one of the interesting things I always find is that you may have found it yourself, especially if you're a Christian here this evening, is that people will always say, and as I travel around, because I go into different schools all around the country doing RE classes and scripture unions and stuff, and people will always say, oh, I couldn't be a Christian because I'm not good living. I couldn't be a Christian because I'm, I'm not a good person. I couldn't do all the things that Christians do. It's an interesting one because Christianity, the foundational belief of Christianity is that none of us are good. None of us are good people. We've all failed. We all have no way of being able to get into heaven ourselves. And actually, by not being a Christian, you have a belief system that I can be good enough to be able to get into heaven by myself. Christianity actually teaches us that none of us are good. That none of us could do anything that would make us worthy of being able to get into heaven. That's the foundational principle of Christianity, that we've failed and that we continue to fail God constantly. But even knowing our failure, God gave his son for us. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points was tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. God knows the times when we stumble. God knows the times when we fail, the times when we have setbacks. He lived in this world. He was tempted like we are. You're going to go through times of setbacks in your life that feel huge. That feel like you can't recover from them. That feel like giant failures and that you've let everyone, yourself, your family, and especially God down. Just like Moses will have felt when he left it, let his anger get the better of him and had to go and be a recluse in a different land. He felt like he'd let himself down, he had let God down, he had let everybody else around him down, especially as people who were relying on him. But it's always important to remember that before the foundation of the world, God knew us. I think it's always important to be reminded of that, is that when we go through these setbacks and these failures and when we feel like we've let everybody down, one of the things the Bible tells us is that before the foundation of the world, God knew you. He knew who you was. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knew where you were going to fail. He knows the beginnings from the end. He knows the things that you do wrong. He knew the times that you were going to fail and the times that you were going to stumble. And yet, knowing this, he still chose you irregardless of all of those things. He knew that you'd have setbacks, but yet he he still has given you talents and gifts and wants to use you for his glory. If you were as worthless as you think you are during the times of your setbacks, you wouldn't be here. But one of the amazing things of the Bible is that it says that God has not only saved us, but then he chooses to use us to be able to give him glory and to be able to tell other people about him. There are different views of success. 
and failure. We sometimes think that we are failures in life because of multiple different reasons. Society will tell you that you're a failure because you don't have enough followers on TikTok and you don't get enough likes on your Instagram posts, that you don't look a certain way, that you're too fat, you're too tall, you're too small. All of these different things that society tells us makes us a failure. But there are different standards of what success and failure actually is. You look at people like, which has been a divisive thing over the last couple of years, you look at a character like Donald Trump. Is Donald Trump a failure? Spiritually, probably yes. In the world's eyes, no. Donald Trump was a success. He's a billionaire. He's got all sorts of different properties and all sorts of different things like this. Moses, as we look at him in Exodus there, Moses had been a physical success for the first 40 years of his life. And then instantly, he became a failure in the things that he'd done wrong. Yet in that setback, he became a spiritual success. In the eyes of the people around him, he was a failure. He'd let God down. He'd let his people down. He'd let the Egyptians down and Pharaoh down because he had done something wrong in the heat of the moment. But yet through that setback, God used him and made him spiritually a success because he started to listen to God. On the day of judgment, there are going to be many people who are in for a surprise, who have sold their souls for material gain that will be condemned. And we need to remember that when we fail and we have setbacks, it's important to listen to God. He is the first step in recovering from those setbacks. Secondly, we've got to learn to grow from our problems. Psalm 119, 71, it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted so that I can learn your statutes. Problems have a purpose because it forces us to choose between Christ and the world. And in those moments when we feel like we've failed or someone has failed us, we need to ask ourselves, do I believe in a God who allows this sort of thing to happen? When we go through setbacks in our lives, when we go through times when we have failed exams or when our friends are real mean to us and we have problems uh, with our friendship groups and our family and different things like this, so many times you will speak to people in your life that says, well, if God was really real, why would he allow this to happen? And it's a question that we all ask ourselves. It's a question that we ask ourselves, Jordan, those times when we go through really big setbacks. It gives us a chance to think to ourselves and go back to that foundation of which we started our relationship with God. Do I believe that God would allow this to happen to me? Or do I trust that there's a greater plan and purpose in this setback than what I can actually see? Moses had to make that choice. When Moses had to flee from his land and when he was in this new land where he was a stranger in that place, he had to ask himself and he had to answer the question to make that choice. It tells us about it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. It says, Moses choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. We have to make that same choice. We have to realize that sometimes we go through setbacks and we go through failures in our lives because it gives us a chance to grow. It gives us a chance to be able to realize that God's in control and sometimes he is doing these things for our good to be able to help us, although we can't necessarily see it in that moment. You imagine the Israelites. The Israelites were being treated as slaves, being beaten, being killed by the Egyptians, having to work long days for uh, no pay, being beaten and out in the sun, and they were given really harsh demands by the Pharaoh. But when the Egyptians were oppressing the Israelites, the Israelites cried out to God. 
They looked to God for help. Setbacks gave God an opportunity to show himself and to move in their lives. And the same with us, that when we suffer setbacks, it gives chance for God to be able to move in our lives and to be able to show us himself in a way that we have maybe never expected to before. Is there a mountain in your way? It's an opportunity for God to move it and to demonstrate his power. Failure and setbacks are not a bad thing. In my job, I get a lot of placement students come in, and I have placement students coming from Bible colleges and things like that. And one of the things, obviously, you know yourself being in school and some of you are in college and things like that. One of the things when you do a placement or when you're doing an assignment, a practical thing, is that you always want to be perfect at it. You want it to be absolutely perfect. But one of the things I always tell my placement students when they come in and spend time with us is that I say to them, it's so important to not only know what you're good at, but to also know what you're not good at. Failure is a key part of growing. Knowing what you're not good at and trying something and failing is not always a bad thing. The first time I was ever asked to preach, I was 18 years old. My pastor came to me in my church in Liverpool and he said, in a couple of months, I want you to preach on Sunday morning. You imagine that? Your pastor coming over to you at 18 years old and saying, I want you to preach on Sunday morning. And I said to him, I can't preach. And he was like, oh, why did it go badly last time? And I was like, well, I've never done it before. And he was like, well, how do you know you can't do it then? And I was like, well, I'm a bit stuck now, aren't I? Uh, so I was like, okay, then I will. So I preached on this Sunday, a couple of months down the line. And I remember preparing. I've actually still got the sermon in my house now. It was 13 pages of A4 paper, full notes, written out, so they're full lines, 13 pages. I got up on the Sunday morning, they sang a couple of hymns, different things like that, and then I got up to preach. And I went through this sermon, 13 pages going across, sweat pouring off me, just thinking, I just want to get this over with. And it got to the end, finished my 13 pages, prayed at the end, sat down and thought, oh, I'm done. Do you know what? It wasn't too bad, that. That was all right. And at the end, obviously, once you've finished, I went to go to the back of the church and I walked down uh, to go towards the back of the church and one of the old women in my church, Louis, she grabbed me by the arm as I was going past and I was like, oh, she's going to tell me that I'm amazing because, you know, that's what old people do, isn't it? So I thought, oh, here we go. And she grabbed me by the arm and she pulled me down and she went, Danny, that was rubbish. But you'll get better in time, I'm sure. That's what she said to me. Like, she might as well just punch me in the face. Like, I didn't know what, how to react to something like that. She was just so blunt. And I went home that day just thinking, I'm never going to preach ever again. I'm never going to do this again. But the reality is, is that although in a very strange way of how it came about, having that type of feedback and feeling like I had failed made me realize that actually I needed to rely on God. I needed to grow more. If I was going to do this and get this opportunity to serve God, I need to try and get better. I maybe need to be a bit more engaging. I need to be able to do this, that, and the other. And I need to trust in God more that he will help me through these times when I'm getting up and speaking. So we get times in our lives when we feel like we've failed, but it gives us a chance for God to intervene and to be able to show his power and how he works in our lives. Moses learned to rely on God, to let God do the work and to trust him. Thirdly, we can turn setbacks into comebacks when we realize that God's love and forgiveness doesn't depend on our success. There was a mother of a famous president in America, and she went to visit, it's recorded that she went to visit the president in the White House, and she was waiting in the waiting room because he was out in a meeting at that particular time. And one of the president's aides came up and sat next to the president's mother, and she, and he said to, he said to the, the president's mother, uh, he says, I bet you're proud of your son. 
And she turned around and she said, which one? That's what unconditional love is. The fact that you have a son that's a president. And when someone says, I'm sure you're very proud of him. She was like, which one? That's what unconditional love is in an illustration. When you look at Greek literature, an overcomer, somebody who overcomes setbacks and problems, is not the one who suffers a defeat, but the one who perseveres until they ultimately win. You think of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's arguably one of the greatest basketball players of all time. You think of people like Roger Federer. Roger Federer, again, arguably one of the greatest tennis players of all time. How many times did Michael Jordan miss shots? How many times did Roger Federer miss serves and get double faults and all of these different things? Literally each one of them goes into the thousands. The amount of times that Roger Federer got uh, double faults on his save goes into thousands. Michael Jordan missed, I think it was something like 1,600 free, fro- free throws uh, for two points. These people missed thousands and thousands of different shots. Were they losers? Were they failures because of the things that they'd done? No. They were champions. They were winners. And the Bible tells us that just because we suffer one setback, just because we suffer one failure, it doesn't just make you a loser forever. We can overcome setbacks. We can be winners through Christ. It says in Romans 8, verse 35 to 39, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or a sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other creatures shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What makes us worth so much? What makes our lives worth so much? We think of the salvation story, the gospel that we have heard, and I'm sure you have heard many, many times before. It tells us that for God so loved us that he sent his only son, that if we believe in him, we won't perish, but have everlasting life. What makes us worth so much that God was prepared to give everything for you? What makes us worth so much? Do we have some sort of inner intrinsic value? We do to some degree because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But I love the quote I came across a few weeks ago that it tells us in regards to Rome. Rome is arguably one of the the greatest uh, cities throughout history. It has one of the greatest empires. And it says that people did not love Rome because it was great, but it was great because people loved it. And that's the same with us. God doesn't love us because we're great, but rather we are great because God loves us. That's an amazing thing to be reminded of, especially when we're going through setbacks and when you've gone through times of hardship and trouble. It's so important to remember that we have a God who thinks that we are great because he loves us. Irregardless of what you've done wrong, irregardless of the failures that you may think are are such big things, it tells us that if we realize that God's love and forgiveness doesn't depend upon our success, we realize how much our life is actually worth, even when we go through these times of setbacks. We need to hold our heads up high. If you're a Christian here this evening, you are a winner. Because we have all, we are on the winning side. We are on the side that has already defeated death and Satan. We are on a winning side. And it's important that no matter what little failures we go through and what little setbacks we go through in our life, ultimately, we are conquerors through Christ. 
Lastly, I want to say to us in our last point here as we've gone through, is that we need to put our setbacks behind us. So often as people, we can dwell on the things that we do wrong. And it can send us down a hole where we think that we're useless, where we think that we're worthless. Northern Ireland, and I've said this a few times in different talks, Northern Ireland has the highest rate of teenage suicide per capita in the whole of Europe. Because so many teenagers in this country feel that their lives are worth nothing. Yet one of the things that it tells us is that we are worth so much that God was prepared to give everything that he had just to build that bridge, fix that gap between us and him and have that relationship with you. That is how much your life is worth. We always dwell on what we're not good at and what we have failed at. But yet one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that we need to put those setbacks and failures behind us and keep pressing forward towards that mark and that goal. Proverbs 24 verse 16 tells us, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. What we need to remember is that we don't have to stay down. Our greatest glory is not in never failing, but in rising each time we fail and fall. You may not be able to reclaim the loss, undo the damage, reverse the consequences, but you can make a new start. A wiser start, a more sensitive start, renewed by the Holy Spirit, a more determined start to want to keep going on. There's a big word, a big theological word in the Bible called sanctification. And that's the growing in the Lord and becoming more Christ-like. When we become Christians, we aren't automatically going to become perfect. We're still going to fail God. We're still going to do things wrong. But it's a process. Sanctification is a process of trying to become more Christ-like. And Jordan, when you're doing a process, whether it's playing football, whether it's going to the gym or doing anything like that, when if you're trying to get faster, if you're trying to get smarter, if you're going to try and get fitter, there's always times when you're going to stumble. There's always times when you're going to fall. I know myself, like I would tend to go to the gym quite a bit. I would have been like really overweight a number of years ago. And then I lost loads of weight and started going to the gym, really enjoyed doing it. And then there would have been times like during Christmas where you go, oh, I'm not going to go to the gym. I'll just take a few weeks off, have a little bit of a break, but I'll be okay. And the next minute you're face deep in a cake somewhere, just going, oh, I just hate my life. And just shoving a cake in your face. And there's always times when you go through, times when you're going to stumble, times when you're going to fail, times when you're going to fall. But the reality is, is that it's so important that we remember that that doesn't define who we are, is that we need to move on from that and continue in the process. Your failure doesn't end you. It's a chance for you to get back up, rely on God more and keep going. Moses did. That's what he did in his life. We see that Moses, the rest of the story of Moses, Moses didn't kill that man and run away and then go, that's it, that's me done forever. No. But yet God revealed himself to Moses and said, I still have a plan and a purpose for your life. And God and Moses was able to do an amazing thing through God in returning back to Egypt and delivering his people. Getting them, taking them out of Egypt, delivering them from slavery, crossing that sea and performing that amazing miracle of crossing the Red Sea and was able to do things that we couldn't even dream of doing because he got up from his failure and his setback and trusted in God and kept pressing forward. The burning bush was the turning point in Moses' life. There, at that point that we read about there in chapter 3, the old Moses died leaving his past, and the new Moses emerged. 
Moses accomplished nothing less than before the burning bush, but after it, he turned the world and the empire at that time upside down. Moses was a new man with a new mission. And when we go through setbacks, we need to be the same. It gives us a chance to reflect, to be able to realize what we've done wrong, to come back to God, to take it back down to that foundation of realizing that we are loved, that we have that assurance of salvation, and that we are here because God is choosing to continue to use us to do amazing things for him. And we can get up and we can carry on through that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, it says, Not as though I had already attained, either was already perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that which is also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to the things which are before, I press towards the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ when we play football, obviously we were speaking about that at the start and being able to play football, and one of the things I was taught throughout my playing when I was playing football over in Liverpool and playing for teams is that you'll have always heard it's a very much a cliche in football that the best um, the best defence is a good offence. So the best form of defence is to attack. If you can score more goals than the other team, then you're sorted. So best, the best defence is a good offence. And we were always told that the best way to put the pass behind you is to come back to God, seek him in prayer, get a new vision for what you can do, and get busy doing it. Keep pushing forward, keep striving on. See that setback that you have in your life as a chance to be able to start again, push forward, and come back and grow in a far greater way. I don't know whether you've heard, and I'm finishing with this, is the story of Robert Rakes. I don't know, has any of you ever heard this? No? No one? Oh, that's good. I love the story of Robert Rakes, so I'll share it with you as we finish. Robert Rakes was a philanthropist that lived in a place called Gloucester in the south of England. Uh, he went to Gloucester Cathedral, which is a massive cathedral um, that you can search for on Google. It's really well known. It's been in loads of movies and different things like that. Um, but he went to Gloucester Cathedral, and he lived in the, 18, the late 1800s, which is the time of what was called the Street Rat Children of Gloucester. Has anyone seen the movie Oliver? So a few years have seen Oliver, the movie. It was that. He lived in those times when there was orphans just on the street and pickpocketing people and stealing and all of these different things. They had this problem in Gloucester with what was called the street rat children of Gloucester. Robert Riggs was just a normal man. He was a philanthropist and he used to walk to work and walk home each day. And as he walked to work and walked home, he seen these children on the street stealing things and doing all sorts of different things like this. And he had a compassion for these kids. He wanted to do something to be able to help them in some sort of way, but he didn't really know what to do. He used to stop, he used to chat to them, he used to give them food and different things like this. And one day he thought to himself, do you know what I'll do? I'll take them to church. Give them a warm place to be able to sit. They'll come in, I'll be able to give them food and different things like this because I want them to hear the gospel. So he took these kids and he brought them into church. It says in his biography that there was about 25 kids came in on this Sunday morning into this big, grand cathedral, all very middle-class people sitting in there in the, in the church. And he walks in with these kids, some of them with no shoes on, dirty feet, uh, kids that they had seen out in the street. Some of them had been pickpocketed by them and all sorts of different things, and they'd stolen from their businesses and stuff like that. He walks in with these kids, and he come and sit on the front two rows in Gloucester Cathedral. People were all moving away and looking at Robert Rakes and saying to him, why have you brought these kids in here? And they were all against what he was doing. 
At the time in the Church of England, they used to have a time during the service of what was called quiet prayer and reflection. So everybody kneeled down on the floor and would have their heads forward and they would spend time just praying, just silently for a few minutes, just by themselves praying to God. So this time came in the service, all the kids got down on the floor and they were all kneeling forward and they were all praying along with everybody else. There was one kid in the second row and he had stolen a hat pin, so it was just a large pin that women would have used to sort of tie the hair up and they put it through to be able to fix the hats on properly and different things like this. And this kid had stolen this during the week and he was playing with it on the second row and as he looked up, similar to the seats that we've got here, they've all got gaps underneath where you can see through them and this kid looked up at the pew in front of him and all he could see as he was kneeling down as he lifted his head up was just the bum of the kid in front of him. He's standing there with this big pin just going, should I get him with this? And he said, he said that he was, he was thinking about it and he didn't know what to do. But eventually this kid couldn't resist it any longer. He took the hat pin and he plunged it into the bum of the kid in front of him. The kid jumped up, screamed, jumped over the pew and punched the other boy in the face. And they started fighting in the middle of church. So much so that the minister had to come out of the pulpit, go over to Robert Rakes and say, get those kids out of our church. He had to usher them all out, stop them all fighting, get them all out of the church. And as he was leaving, the people were saying, don't know why you're bothered. Don't know why you spend time doing that. Don't worry about them. Forget about them. They're a waste of time. They're all failures. Robert Rakes walked out of the church with these kids, and that was the end of that on the Sunday morning. He didn't know what to do. He had suffered this setback of not knowing what he was going to do because the kids weren't allowed into the church anymore. He could only do so much for so many kids. So what was he going to do? How was he going to help them in any sort of way? He carried on talking to them, carried on helping them, and a number of months passed before he went back to his minister and he said, I want these kids to come to church. The minister said, no, not a chance, not after last time. These kids are not coming back to our building. (coughs) So what he said to the minister was, well, can I take them into the back room? Can I maybe spend a little bit of time with them in the back room and I can read the Bible to them, teach them the catechisms, uh, different things like that, teach them memory verses, feed them, do what I can with them. And the minister said, as long as they don't come into our church building, he said, you can take them into the back room somewhere and you can have them there, but they're not coming into church. So what he'd done on a Sunday was Robert used to take these kids into the back room. He used to give them fruit. He used to help them to learn to read and to write because so many of the kids couldn't do that. And he'd done that through teaching them the catechisms and through teaching them memory verses in the Bible and things like this. Eventually, he struck a deal with the minister so that the kids could come in at the start of the service, sing a few of the songs, have a little bit of time with the church, and then they would go out during the time of the message and during the time of prayer and reflection because the minister wouldn't let them in for that anymore. And they would be ushered out into this back room for Robert Rakes to give them some fruit and to teach them the catechisms. People started to find this fascinating. And he said, that's really interesting what he's doing. More and more kids were coming. Other churches started doing it in their communities to be able to help the children that were orphans and stuff. And everyone said, that's really interesting what he's doing, isn't it? It's like he's doing school with them, but on a Sunday. And people started to call it Sunday school. See, if you travel to Gloucester, there's a statue up in the middle of Gloucester, in the middle of Gloucester Square of Robert Rakes, the man who started Sunday school. One man who suffered failures, who suffered setbacks, but yet he got himself up and he carried on going and done what he could for God. And through that work that he started, most churches, if not all churches that we know of, have a Sunday school. 
Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of kids have been swept into the kingdom of God because of the Sunday school movement that that man started. He could have just gave up on that day when those kids were beating each other in the middle of church. He could have just said, you know what, I tried my best, but there's nothing I can do about it. But he dusted himself off. He went again. He prayed to God. He asked for his help and God used him to do amazing things far beyond what he could ever ask or think or imagine. Through the Bible, we see Moses came back, Peter came back, Paul came back. When you suffer setbacks and when you suffer failures in your life, it doesn't define who you are, but it gives you a chance to be able to come back to God, pray to him, seek his guidance, and to live that sanctification that it tells us about in the Bible, going again, striving to do more. You are here because God has chosen you to do something amazing for him, to be able to serve him. And he has given you gifts and talents and ability, and he chooses to use each and every one of you, if you know and you love him here this evening. He has chose to use you to be able to do something amazing here in this earth. Remember that. If God had no reason or no use for us, we wouldn't be here. But yet you are sitting here this evening because God has a plan and a purpose to be able to use you, to be able to give him glory and to be able to do something amazing. There are times when you're going to fail. There are times when you're going to have setbacks. But yet it gives you a chance to be able to rethink what you're doing, dust yourself off, carry on and be used by God to do amazing things. That of which you would never ask or think or know or imagine. So remember that, because as we said at the start, everyone is going to go through setbacks. All of us are going to fail at different points in our lives. But your failure doesn't define you. And it's important to remember that your success or your failure isn't based on you, but it's based on the love that God has poured out upon you. Because he has chosen you and he chooses to use you, irregardless of what you've done wrong and irregardless of the setbacks that you'll face. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do just thank you for the stories that we have heard this evening, Lord, the life of Moses and Abraham and Paul and Peter and all of these different people, Lord, that we see in your words and how they were just normal people that lived normal lives, that suffered setbacks and suffered failures, Lord, but yet you used them to do amazing things. They were successes because of you, Lord. They were great, not because of who they are, but they are great because you loved them, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, that that message that we hear in the Bible this evening, Lord, is the same message that you give us today. That you are a God who loves us and who cares for us and who loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son into this earth to give his life, Lord, so that we can have that bridge between us and you, Lord, that we can have that absolute assurance of heaven that when we fail and when we stumble and when we fall, Lord, that it's not the end but that you help us and guide us. And we do just pray, Lord, that you will help us in those times of failure, those times of setbacks, to look to you, to look for help, to look for guidance from you, Lord, so that we can carry on living a life that is worthy of, of serving you, Lord, and using the gifts and the talents that you have given us to be able to serve you and to be able to share that hope that we have in our heart with others. We just thank you for each and every person here, Lord. We thank you for the blessing that Listu there is, Lord, and for the opportunity that, that is given week by week, Lord, to be able to meet together, to encourage each other, to keep pushing each other on in this race that we, that we are in, Lord. 
And we do just pray, Lord, that you will help us to keep looking forward, to not define ourselves by the failures that we face and the setbacks that we have, but to keep encouraging each other to keep going forward in this race, Lord, to keep striving to serve you and do all that we can, Lord. And we do just pray that through our lives that you will be glorified, that people will know more about you and that you will use each and every person here, Lord, to do something amazing for you, Lord, that gives you glory and gives you honour in this place that you've put us in to serve you, Lord. So do continue to be with us. Be with us for the rest of this evening. Help us as we travel home and as we travel uh, to go and get supper, Lord. We just pray that you'll be with us for the rest of this weekend and that you'll continue to write your word upon our hearts that we ask it in your name. Amen.